following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Well, um, I'll just I'll just introduce myself briefly. Um, I see some familiar faces, and um, some of you um, you may not know each other yet. But well, really glad to be here at Common Ground. While uh, many of the community are on retreat this weekend, and and to support the center while Mark is leading the retreat. So um, I've been a member of the community for many years um, since the beginning. And, uh, and as some of you know, I'm also a psychotherapist at Rivers Way Meditation Center down the block. And I teach in some various university settings, um, social work uh, settings, integrative psychotherapy and meditation. Um, my name is Mira, Mira Young. Thank you. So, um, so anyway, I'm really grateful to be here, and uh, and and this is part of my practice as well. I was also trained as a community dharma leader, and and I really um, love, you know, both supporting and sharing the dharma, and it deepens my own practice. I'd like to start with this talk is um, called um, the doors of perception. The doors of perception. Um, emotional healing and freedom. And ultimately, I think it's about love, about healing the separation that causes us a lot of suffering in our life. So I'd like to start with this brief um, reading on perception. Be careful how you perceive of how you interpret the world because your world is exactly the way you perceive it. The world is your perception. You personally endorse each and every one of your delusions. Perceptions, you live and die by them. Does that ring true? (laughs) It does for me. One Zen uh, poet says, and his haiku on a moon. Fearing my past is exposed to the moon, I keep looking down this evening. You know, so often we're our, our sense of perceptions are influenced by a mistaken sense of, you know, not being enough or our wounds. And I'm going to talk about that a little later, of how to work with that. The Buddha, the Buddha um, broke analyzed experience in terms of the five aggregates or the skandhas: form, feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. That's it. That's all happening. So really, all that's going on in the present moment is this aggregate that we form into a heap that forms a sense of self that's made up of, you know, like when we opened our eyes, we could see the different forms. We might have had different feelings, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We had perception, you know, the the mind that recognizes things, that perceives it through our lens. And then the um, mental formations, all the thoughts, conditioning, oh, oh, that person looks friendly, oh, maybe that's interesting there. Whatever our our, um, mental formations are, which include our emotions and our consciousness, just the capacity 
to notice it. So uh, the five skandhas or aggregates are a teaching device to illustrate the doctrine of not-self, how everything is ultimately selfless. And, and basically what's really going on is just our hearing, seeing, feeling, mental formations, you know, perceptions. This is just what's happening moment to moment that gives us a sense of life, our life. So the Buddha um, evokes similes to illustrate the ephemeral nature of the five skandhas, these heaps or aggregates. He says the heap is like the back of an elephant. <laughs> um, the, the body is like a lump of sea foam. Feelings like bubbles. Perception, a mirage. Mental formations like a plantain stem, hollow inside. And consciousness, a conjuring trick perception. This, this aggregate of perception, samaya, is um, kind of difficult to understand, but it really, in a sense, we're talking about attaching a name to an object of experience. The function of perception is to turn into an, an infinite, an indefinite experience into an identified, recognizable experience. So we do this all the time, right? We do this with each other. So, oh, I know you, and I have this whole story, right? Or I know myself, and, and I, have, I have this story. Or, or this is what it is. In, in those moments where we actually perceive someone or something in a fresh new way, it's like, wow, you know, right? But, but normally, you know, I realize that I, I've been in a marriage for 30-some years, and every now and then it's like, this, this is an amazing being. <laughs> you know, I'm discovering new things. Or, or, oh, I didn't know you thought that or saw that. Or, you know. But mostly it's like, oh, okay, I, I just see this person or myself a certain way. I want to um, share that there, there's a, well, I'll share, I'd like to share my cockroach sutra with you and, and, the, and a story about the dog on the road to awakening if I have time. I have, it's hard to choose some of these because there's, we, we live in, a, in, in an experience of a lot of our perceptual distortions. There's three of them. There's the belief that what we experience is permanent. The belief that our experience provides us with a lasting sense of satisfaction. And the belief that there's an unchanging self which in, is in part of, in control, right? and aware of our moment-to-moment -moment experience. So we think things are permanent. Um, we think they'll give us a lasting sense of satisfaction and that there is an unchanging sense of self. And on a more poignant level, I'm just going to mention it because it was so um, um, hard to hear, uh, just here by the river road. Uh, I don't know if you heard the news last night, a cyclist was killed um, by a, um, uh, a driver that was hit and run, you know. And um, so we could send a little meta, you know, just, uh, just right here down our road, right here by the Franklin, near Franklin Bridge here in the River Road. And I include that here because, you know, that sense of permanence, you know, we just don't know from one moment to the next, you know, 
how, how things are going to be. And because of that, it really wakes us up. It seems like every, every day, every day, or at least several times, once a week, I'm hearing these stories that remind me that life is a mystery and how impermanent things are. And so to live in delusion of a separate, you know, solid self is actually painful. So the Cockroach Sutra might sound funny, but actually it was a very powerful experience for me where I saw this whole cascade of the effects of perception. I was on a retreat in a really beautiful place um, earlier this fall for an extended time. And um, it was a very beautiful environment in nature. And I had a lovely place to practice, very supportive conditions. And there was one catch. There were big cockroaches, <laughs> not Minnesota-sized. There were actually a couple different varieties. They're the ones that would crawl over the sink area where I would make my food. There were the little red ones. And, and I was like really proud of my equanimity. I was like, you know, I can steal. I'll just, I'm not going to kill. I'm not going to harm. And I'm pretty equanimous about it. And then one, one day I flicked on the light in the bathroom area and there I had a jar where I kept my toothbrush and in the bottom of the jar was one of those big, a large being. And I, I, I like kind of went, and I was like, oh, that'll make it easy to take it outside. And I was like, my practice is really strong. Oh, equanimity. <laughs> and I, I had some pride arise. And, and another <laughs> mistaken perception. And then, and then later, towards the end of my retreat, that's like, okay, I'm living with cockroaches. I'm living in this lovely environment. It's not, it's workable. And then I'd be sitting there late, late in the evening, and I would hear a little crashing sound in the bathroom. And I go, hmm, that's interesting. You know, it'd be like midnight, and I would go, and then, then. A couple times this happened, and then I walked into the bathroom, and I'd see, like, my chap lip stuff in the sink. Or I had these little travel shampoo bottles. They were in the tub in the morning when I go to take my shower. And then one night I went in there, and there were not just one, but two of these large beings right there. And I watched this whole cascade, because, right, even when I say it here, right, like if we lived in another country where they ate insects, that, that being, that cockroach might be a tasty meal. Perception, right? It could be a source of protein. That's great, you know? Um, or because they lived in an environment where there were a lot of these beings called cockroaches that we name and recognize, that they might be like, it's no big deal. It's like us seeing a squirrel, right? <laughs> a cockroach squirrel. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> And, you know, it would be not a big deal. But for me, as a Midwesterner in this other environment, and I watched this, I, I literally, it was like, maybe it was the practice, but it was, and I was listening to Dharma talks on perception and really paying attention to it. And it was like, there, there, there was that moment where it was just seeing, just seeing. And then there was the, rec the perception came in, and there was complete aversion, very intense, you know, just like, <clears throat> And, I ha and then there, the mind went, and I was surprised to notice in this particular 
Kuti cottage that I was staying in, that, that under, underneath the sink was a bottle of spray, of insect spray, right? So to make a long story short, within a few moments, it was like, you know, this moment of seeing, aversion, this mental formation, being the cockroach spray, going, making a beeline, thinking, I'm not going to kill this being, but, I'm, but I can at least do something to where it's coming from. And Because I, I tried to catch them and throw them outside. So there was this whole cascade. And then, and then I managed to spray the stuff on, on the spot where I thought they were coming from and get it all over myself because I was at close range. So then I had to sit with the fact that maybe I had now poisoned myself <laughs> and should I, should I try to get a hold of poison control because they said to wash the skin for 20 minutes. And, so I had, and then I watched all that arise. And that was all this cascade of events. I was fine. I washed myself. I sat with And I went back to my cushion and I sat with it all. And then it was shortly passed away. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that. You know, and after that, it was like um, just seeing. I mean, it's it's a story about one little insect, but how often does that happen? Somebody says or does something. We're filled with aversion. We have a certain way of perceiving that, and then we do something really unskillful. You know, we say or do something. You know, that causes us and the others harm. It was like all played out. So I was like actually sitting there. And I was able to send loving kindness and, and gratitude for the teaching from the cockroach. And then similarly, um, well, I'm not going to have time to do it. I'll just let go of the dog story for another time. I'll just say that I had a perception of a very meek and mild elderly dog looking like a Doberman that was going to attack me while I was on a walk. And just, just seeing how quickly and how deluded we can be in our perceptions in terms of what's really going on. Um, Byron Katie says that as a woman who made friends with the wind in a desert town where the wind blows a lot of the time and everyone hated it, even people moved from the town because they couldn't stand the wind. She said, I made friends with the wind, with reality is what I discovered. I didn't have a choice. I realized it's insane to oppose it when I argue with reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> How do I know that the wind should blow? It's blowing. We argue with reality. We argue with reality. She says, I am a lover of what is, not because I'm a spiritual person, but because it hurts when I argue with reality. We know that reality is good just as it is, because when we argue with it, we experience what? Tension frustration. We don't feel natural or balanced. We stop opposing reality. When we stop opposing it, we become simple, fluid, kind, fearless. Um, Minya Rinpoche talks about perception this way. He says that, um, imagine putting on a pair of dark green sunglasses. Everything you see would appear in shades of green, Green people, green cars, green buildings, green rice, and green pizza. <laughs> Even your hands and feet would look green. If you took your sunglasses off, your entire experience would change. Oh, people aren't green. Oh, 
I'm not clean. You know, we see things through these lenses. Certain mental and emotional habits condition our worldview. We become attached to a sunglass point of view. We believe that the way we see things is the way they truly are. You know, in my work as a therapist, this is in a meditation, teaching meditation. I mean, this is up all the time. You know, people come in with such misperceptions. We, can, we look in the mirror and we don't see clearly. We don't see the beauty of who we are. You know, we see ourselves through those various filters. And, and now, to quickly move to, he says, William Blake said, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as it is. You know, life, another uh, Tibetan teacher said, life doesn't stay in place even for a moment. That beings think I at first and cling to self. They think of mine and are attached to things. That when we really start to pay attention and see clearly, this is what Rinpoche, Mingyur Rinpoche says his father taught him. He said that, um, he says, I don't mean to suggest whenever I face a problem or feel an irritation or discomfort, I put on some sort of Buddhist detective cap and start rummaging through my mind asking, hmm, what's the perspective or perception here? What am I not seeing? But the actual process involves simply staying with the situation and looking at it directly. Approaching experience in this way allows a bit of space to spontaneously open around it. Like sometimes just noticing, oh, perception, oh, this is just that space of awareness of what's happening that allows us to see things in a larger context. If there's a mind that can look at experience logically, it follows that mind. That mind is larger than the experience itself. So the awareness that we have, the capacity to be awake and aware is larger than whatever we're perceiving in the moment, right? So in a split second of recognition, it becomes possible to catch a glimpse of the mind's infinite grandeur, to see it as, a fa as, as his father and other teachers described, as an endless ocean in which each moment of experience is nothing more than among a series of waves now rising, now falling, never separate from a limitless expanse. Never separate from a limitless expanse. I'm just going to mention this, and I'll, I'll make it more as a bookmark or, or a recommendation, that I suggest if some of you haven't heard of it, that Rick Hansen, he wrote The Buddha's Brain, and... Uh, he has uh, what's called the Wise Brain Bulletin, wisebrain.org, Wise Brain Bulletin. And he, he gives weekly practices. And, and this week's practice was how to fill the hole in your heart, you know, and recognizing what is our, what are those places in us that need that kind of attention. That, and these influence our perception, of course. And, and how we can can work with that. That was some of the emotional healing I wanted to um, talk about. And it basically 
the, the good news is is that when we start to change our perception, when we start to recognize some of the things that are influencing it and we start to heal and give it kind attention and we practice that, like all of us practicing here, like we start with the four measurables, it literally changes our brain. You know? Wise Brain Bulletin or wisebrain.org, Rick Hansen with an S, H-A-N-S-O-N. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Because he gives very practical steps in how we can practice and literally change the way that we see things. So I'm going to stop here. I think we have maybe one minute before the kids come in. So maybe sit for a sec and see if there's a question. Oh, certainly. Actually, you know, the story was actually that the dog, I was up, uh, up walking up this hill, and as I was coming down, I was moving quickly. So I, when I saw this dog with its ears up, the big dog that looked quite large to me down near the bottom of the hill or part halfway down, I completely slowed down. I, 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 I started to plan, you know, how, how I would deal with it. I started to, to be, you know, more mindful. I, oh, definitely, we have to apply wisdom. I'm not saying it's all perception. I mean, when, and actually, when we're aware of our perception and we can we can really respond with wisdom, not just reactivity. So if I had been more mindful with, with even with the cockroach, I wouldn't have done that unskillful action. I would have recognized the aversion and, and probably, like now, I would, I, would not, I would be more aware. It taught me a lot about misperception and reactivity. So definitely, I, I mean, we have to take care of ourselves. I mean, we live in a relative reality with real stuff. I mean, we're not just sitting here like, oh, it's all fine, it's all impermanent, and no, you know. Um, so yes, we do take care of ourselves. And it was very interesting to watch as I got closer to this being that looked quite threatening, that actually when it got there, it didn't bark, its ears went down, it cowered, and it actually looked like it wanted me to pet it. And, and, and this happened within minutes where it, it looked so looming and threatening. And then, as, and then I slowed down, and I was really mindful, yeah, of how to approach it. Yeah, yeah. Any other comment or question? Yes, please. When I subscribe to a daily peace quote, I think it's dailypeacequote.org. Yeah. Anyway, your talk really reminded me of one. Yeah, please. Yeah. It's kind of like a space-off. Yum and yuck. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? Let me say it for the recording. So you're saying the piece, the piece, oh, there are only two mantras, yama and yuck. Mind is yum. Mind is yum, yeah. I saw a movie the other day called Buck by Robert Redford. Yes, yes. And in the movie, they show the comparison the way they used to break horses, where they used to use whips and because they were uh, seeing the animal as a threat. Yes. And of course, the animal then saw the 
person ever talks. And they would break down resistance in the way they used to do this, but the animals then interfere. As opposed to the way that horse whispers or buck would do it, which was to intuit what the animal's needs were. Yes. And really respond. So they show this piece where they're simply taking a rope to one person to the next. I'll use my partner here as an example. And the rope, uh, if you yank it, the person will like, pull it like this. If you simply guide the rope slowly, the person intuits what you want without any force whatsoever. So mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. in the same way I see this talk and talking about yeah. how your dog experience was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and what a shift. You know, and when we're fearful, you know, um, like even thinking like with some of the, like the wolf population being eliminated, like this fear associated wolf and evil or, you know, certain things we perceive and then we, we may, um, you know, kill off a whole species, try to kill something, you know, let alone think about the Holocaust, you know, listening to the Veterans Day talks and these soldiers, you know, the perceptual distortion of seeing the other. Let me, let me, um, I had a couple fabulous poems that I, I don't get to share today, but if, well, I'll, I'll wait and see. There's a beautiful one about a story by Naomi Shihab Nye about what her experience in an in airport where the dissolving of separation, um, and she's a Palestinian-American woman, and what happens when we, how, how we can come together in this communion and seeing each other and meeting in such beautiful ways when we start to heal some of those those ways of seeing, you know, the fear. Thank you. Yes. And yeah, I don't know where the kids are. Good fortune to yeah. uh, be in a hut in rural East Maui on a tropical flower farm. Yeah. And then Wonderful. Uh, it's we want to go but, there. Yeah. <laughs> well, my fortune is paradise. After we destroy ourselves, they're the ones that are going to march. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate your insight in bringing that to mind, you know, in compassion for the a person that could do a hit and run. You know, um, some of us have volunteered in the prison settings, and we see we see that those people who people who have committed those kinds of harms and atrocities are just us, are like us, same condition, same stuff, you know. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, 
that person, we can send that as well. Yeah. Well, I also appreciate your saying that uh, anything can change at any time. I guess about a month ago now, my closest friend, um, and also about and it's changed our relationship yeah. um, because of my perception of her has changed. I mean, she's been married the whole time I've known her, and now I'm getting used to her as a different kind of yeah, person, yeah. different needs. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a little embarrassing to find myself uh, <coughs> not able to be there for her as much as I'd like because mm-hmm. I'm struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Hey, what happened? You know? Yeah. You, you changed our, the, the, our bargain, our, our unspoken contract has been altered. Um, so I guess I just, uh, yeah, saying this aloud because, because it's so true. Yeah. Uh, but also because I guess I need support in, in uh, taking care of myself so that I can be there for her. Right, yeah. In my own practice instead of, you know, oh, she's so wise and she has this great relationship and I'll learn so much from, you know, <laughs> being yeah. friends with them. There's a, yeah, things change on a dime in a second, and, 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 you know, it's a lot of, it's a loss, you know, we have a lot of, you know, that the loss and grief that comes, you know, as people and ourselves and things change, and, and yeah, so how we embrace that reality and can, you know, with compassion and equanimity. Um, I'm aware that it's, um, Time and the kids haven't come in, so I don't know. Maybe they gave us more time to talk about it. Are they coming in? Well, let me ask you guys. Um, it's 11:30. Um, should we close and end with the day, or do you want to um, hear it? Maybe that poem I didn't get to read yeah. and, and take a little more time with the Dharma. Things are as they are, right? <laughs> Do you know what? I am not sure who wrote that one on perception. I actually found it on this, I think I found it on this gratitude website. I, I'll try to look it up and leave it maybe with Mark or have him put it out there. I, they didn't have the author. It was just the reading for, um, it came out orange, it was the reading for October 31st. <laughs> I'm not sure, you know, I, I do a lot of different preparation and exploring, and I just came across this. It might have been on a gratitude webpage, um, but I'm not sure. Um, let me... So this is um, called um, Gate 4A, or Wandering in the Albuquerque um, Airport Terminal. Wandering around the Albuquerque Airport Terminal, After learning my flight had been detained four hours, I heard an announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of Gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. You know, know, she's a Palestinian-American woman, and they're saying, you know, anybody's speaking Arabic. So an older woman in uh, traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly, help, 
said the flight service person. Talk to her. What's the problem? We told her her flight was going to be late, and she did this. I stooped and put my arm around the woman, and I spoke to her haltingly in Arabic. The minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely, and she needed to be in El Paso for major medical treatment the next day. I said, you're fine. You'll get there. Who's picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son, and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother until until we got on the plane and would ride next to her. She talked to him, and then we called her other sons just for fun. And and then we called my dad, and he and and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, that they had ten shared friends. (laughs) And then I thought up, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? And this all took about two hours. She was laughing a lot, telling her stories about her life, patting, patting my knee, and answering questions, and then she pulled out a sack of homemade mamul cookies. <laughs> Little powdered sugar, crumbly mounds, and stuffed with dates and nuts out of her bag, and was offering them to all of the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined. It was like, like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mom from California, the lovely woman from Laredo. We were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There is no better cookie. And then the airline broke out the free beverages from the huge cooler. And two little girls from our flight ran around serving all the apple juice. And then they, and they were, and we were holding hands. And she had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green furry leaves, such an old country traveling tradition. Always carry a plant. Always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around the gate of the late and weary ones, and I thought, this is the world I want to live in. The shared world. Not a single person in this gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about another person. They all took the cookies, and I all wanted to hug all those women, too. This can happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. (laughs) (laughs) Naomi Shihab Nye. Come on, Ella. Yeah. Naomi, she have nine. Okay. But I have to have this one you can keep. This one I need back. Hi, Laura. Nice to see you. Hi. Come on up. You want to have a seat up here? I'd love to have you guys.
ready? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.